Hey, everybody. All right, we've got a special episode today. Ladies, this one's for you. Guys, I know I talk to you a lot. So, guys, if you're not into female hormones, you may not want to listen to this one. But I'll tell you, if you have a wife or a girlfriend or a partner, you may want to listen to this one because understanding female hormones is the topic of, this, of today's podcast. And I learned a lot. And understanding this stuff might be important in your, to your survival. Dr. Carrie Jones joins me today. I've been trying to get Dr. Jones on the podcast for a long time because she is, when, when you ask the question, who's the world authority on female hormones, most people say, I have no idea. And the typical answer I've been receiving lately is Dr. Carrie Jones. And so we are incredibly lucky to have her joining us today on the Muslim Intelligence Podcast to talk about female hormones. Dr. Carrie Jones is a naturopathic physician who is board certified in naturopathic endocrinology for over 17 years in the field of functional medicine, functional and integrative medicine. She was the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Oregon. Um, she was the medical director at Dutch Test, which is one of the top-rated testing companies in the world. And she's recently had a big change in career or a big change in job anyway. So she's moved over to be the head of the medical education department at Rupa Health, R-U-P-A Health. Uh, Rupa is a company that is specific for lab testing. They can do all types of lab testing. And Dr. Jones is the head of the medical and educational departments over there. Um, she is a wealth of information. And the beauty of it is she does it in such a, a calm and humble way and uh, really does a great job of breaking it down to be consumable and understandable because sometimes this can feel like jumping off into the deep end. And, and this podcast is a really great summary of um, all of the uh, factors and the considerations when it comes to female hormones. So specifically, we talk about the two biggest hormone health effectors. Uh, we talk about hormone production at a cellular level, which is something I'm particularly interested in because if you don't know, hormones are not a, they're a downstream effect, right? They're not something you can directly address. There's something that you have to affect with multiple successive things, if that makes sense. Dr. Jones has a better uh, job explaining it than I do. We talk about how environmental toxins affect hormones. We talk about estrogen dominance. We talk about the lack of estrogen or lack of progesterone. We talk about hormone replacement therapy, both estrogen and testosterone, and whether or not you should be doing. We also talk about some issues around fertility. Today's podcast is brought to you our friends over by our friends over at Bioptimizers. Once again, some of the best quality products on the market. Specifically, I want to isolate this product called Capex today. If you're not familiar with Capex, Capex is specifically formulated for people on a higher fat diet, specifically a lower fat, a lower carbohydrate diet, to help you digest, absorb, and assimilate what you eat. So your body is not what you eat. Your body is what you digest, absorb, and assimilate. So we want to make sure we're getting the most of what we eat. Sometimes people experience lulls in energy because it's not because of the lack of food or lack of calories. Sometimes they're consuming an abundance of calories, but it's sometimes the inability of their body to extract the nutrients and the calories from that food effectively. So your body just ends up, ends up sitting in your stomach and sometimes causing digestive distress and maybe preventing the fat burning process from actually happening. So KPAX is designed specifically to help you break down fat and proteins and, and absorb fats and proteins, and then ultimately assimilate and uh, so remove the rate limiting factor in, in what's in called oxidation, the burning of fat. All those things are in included in this one amazing product. And that's K-A-P-E-X, Capex. You can get it by going over to Kenergize.com. That's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E.com slash muscle. 
You can also go over to buyoptimizers.com and get their entire list of products, which I absolutely am a huge fan of. Uh, ladies, if this is you listening, if you're not already taking mag breakthrough by buyoptimizers, I highly suggest with the seven different chelate magnesium that uh, literally covers all of the bases for magnesium. And specifically, if you're a menstruating woman, uh, magnesium is an essential part of your repertoire. So once again, you can get those over at buyoptimizers.com, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com. Use the code MUSCLE10 for 10% off. And now back to the show with Dr. Carrie Jones. So I would love for you to first introduce yourself and what your background is, what maybe what makes you an expert in hormones and what made you interested in hormones. And then we could kind of progress into starting to understand the foundations of female hormones. Yeah, absolutely. I am a naturopathic doctor. I have been in the field of uh, functional medicine for about 23 years. I've, I've been a doctor for about 16 now, but I w- I've been in the field um, longer that than I was a doctor. So I have quite a bit of, um, you know, experience and history and observation over the time. And that whole time, once I discovered how much I loved women's health, not only personally for me, but because I just had so many friends, colleagues, uh, patients who were like, gosh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that thing. I didn't know that hormone. I didn't know that's how it worked. And the more I discovered that, the more I thought I really need to understand female physiology pretty deep so that I can then explain it to my predominantly female patients and just really help them. So I focused on uh, sort of hormones and endocrinology and naturopathic school. I did my residency in, for two years in um, what they call naturopathic endocrinology. And then I went on to get my master's. I got my master's in public health and then I became board certified in, I'm a fellow of the American board of naturopathic endocrinology. So I just continued to stay along the hormone world. And eventually I saw patients for years and years, and I was the medical director for a hormone lab called the Dutch test. And now I'm the head of medical education at Rupa health, which is a multi-lab platform as opposed to just focusing on hormones. So I have diversified a little bit. (laughs) I am venturing out into other labs beyond just hormone labs. But um, yeah, like I said, from the beginning, hormones is sort of what I live and breathe at my core. Yeah. So I've just started looking into Rupa. Is that a relatively new company? It's been around a couple of years. So yes, only about two and a half-ish years uh, headed into three. So it is. So it's just a company that, that specializes in allowing us to access multiple levels of testing? Uh, in one place, yeah. So I, for those practitioners who maybe order off of like Fullscript is an example, one-stop shopping, no. um, maybe consu- like Amazon. It's like the Amazon for labs. You go to one place, you can order all your labs. Everything is there. We handle all the back-end stuff for patients. All the test results come there. So you don't have to log into and out of different portals looking for your patient's lab. So no, they have all the tests that you're familiar with. Yeah. Stool testing, saliva testing, urine testing, blood testing. It's all there. Oh, good to know. I'll have to check that out. I use a lot of testing for my clients. So that's great. Thank you. Obviously the foundation of all human human physiology is optimized cellular function. So I'd like to kind of reverse into that a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. It's like, start talking about, um, you know, maybe from a cellular perspective where hormonal um, challenges start to arise, right? Yeah. So women can can be progress or men can be progressing through life, 
and you know optimize through to teenage years and then maybe they get to their 20s and when does it all start to break <laughs> well as you know we can break at any age uh which is what i like to say we often for men or women it doesn't matter they get told things happen at a certain age right men you know you're it's Unless you're 50 or too young to have testosterone problems, we're like, we know that's not true. Women, you know, I have women in their 20s who have hot flashes and they get told that's not possible. Hot flashes don't happen until you're older. I'm like, no, it doesn't mean you're menopausal, but you can have hormone dysfunction at literally any age. Mm -hmm. So, from a cellular perspective, if we start with women, um, we're born, as far as we know, we're born with all of our follicles on our ovaries and on the outside of our follicle as they grow and get bigger, uh, certain ones every month, um, we have cells and we have cells that start with a TH. They're called FECA cells. So they're the cells that get all the blood supply. They, they basically are on the outside and they, they handle all the incoming packages, right? All the incoming supply chain, like that's what the FECA cells handle. But what the FECA cells do are they are what they make our androgens as women. They make our testosterone. They make our DHEA, um, a pretty big percentage of it. And then just inside of them are what are called granulosa cells. And so they swim over or float over and turn into estrogens in, in the granulosa cells. So on the outside, we're looking at blood supply, right? Nerve supply, cellular health, health. And then on the inside, we're looking at how easily can you float back and forth in between the two. And then once you release the egg, once you ovulate, those two cells actually magically like Cinderella, like permanent Cinderella, a lutein cells, and it's called a, a corpus luteum or corpus luteum, depending where you are in the world. And then that pumps out progesterone. And it all, again, relies on blood supply, nerve supply, signaling, right? Signaling from the brain. And at a very deep cellular layer, all this happens in the mitochondria. The first step to all hormone production occurs deep down on all those millions of mitochondria, the endoplasmic reticulum, which is another structure plays a role, but you can already, you're like, as you're listening, you can already think, okay, signaling comes from the brain. So brain health is important. Okay. She's mentioned blood supply several times. How is the blood supply down around my belly area, my abdominal area? Do I have scars? Have I, you know, had C-section scar? If I have an abdominal surgery scar, um, do I wear tight clothes all the time? That may be restrictive. Do I have lymphatic issues? drive nerve issues, all that's going to affect how you make your hormones. And then the cell itself, the oh. float back and forth and then down to the mitochondria. So there's a lot that goes in to hormones. When people say to me, my progesterone's low. What's the one thing I can take to get it up? I'm like, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a multi-step process. It's not, it's not easy. So it sounds like it starts in the brain. Starts in the brain. Yeah. So I'd love to start there. I just maybe start to work back, work down from that. So our brain, I joke all the time, when you, um, all of our hormones, male or female, it doesn't matter, they work in pulses. So if you think your garden hose, when you turn on your garden hose to water your garden, uh, it's a continuous water flow. That's not what happens in the body. It's, it's pulses. And the pulses um, are signaled. So if they're higher and longer pulses versus shorter and lower pulses, that they, that it's like Morse code. Right? It's like Morse code and that it tells the rest of the body to do something. Signals happen up at the brain. And the, first of all, your brain, the part of your brain is called the hypothalamus, takes all this information in. Do you, have you had enough to eat? Have you slept enough? How stressed out are you? Are you sick? Are you actively fighting an infection? Are you on antibiotics? Right? It takes all of this into account. And then it adjusts, micro adjusts the Morse code, the, the pulses, the signals 
down to the rest of the body. So if the brain's not happy, then the ovaries or respectively the testicles, they're not going to be happy either. They're, the Morse code is going to get messed up. And that's where we start to see problems. So let's get into that. What does that yeah. mean to have a happy brain? Is that, is that just literally from perspective of like, yeah. are you stressed? Is, is the, the brain producing energy correctly? Is there inflammation? Is it all, all those? All those things, all of them. And I, I say all the time for, for females, especially whether you want to get pregnant or not, what, whether you're looking for reproduction, it doesn't matter. Your brain is constantly scanning you. Are you safe enough? And are you healthy enough to have a baby? And that's through our cycling years how it really kind of decides, do we have a cycle? Do we ovulate? What's our period like based on those two questions uh, to kind of make it super easy. Like, I don't want to have a baby. I'm not looking to have a baby. Reproduction is the last thing on my mind, but I know when like through the pandemic, if I skipped a cycle, if my cycle was late, if I had bad symptoms, I just always look back. Am I stressed out? Have I been eating worse? Have I been up and sleeping as well? You know, have I been, did I get it? Have I been sick recently? It's due to an infection. And the brain's just trying to divert like, hey, Carrie, not a good month. We're just going to throw things off this month. You're not going to ovulate this month. And I know many women report that to me like, oh my gosh, my stress is a 10 out of 10. I'm in my house. I, you know, it's with my kids and my family. Like what happened to my period? I'm like, not safe enough, not healthy enough. And then once you get there, things go, you know, get, get better back on track. And so, and it's, so it's all those things. And it's even like the medications you take, steroid medications, opioid medications, you know, some of these medications affect the brain as well. So it can be lifestyle stuff, but it can also be external factors that you didn't really plan for that you didn't mean to, but it, you have to do it. So, so safe seems pretty self-explanatory. Now let's, mm-hmm. let's, maybe dissect the health part. Where, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's, there's a lot, right. There's, yeah. there's a lot that goes into that and very subjective potentially. Right. It could be, mm-hmm. you know, depending how you define health, um, you know, going down the path of what are some of the typical things that are slowing down people's health. Two biggest things that I watch out for first when it comes to health are, are they under body fat and are they over exercising? Now we used <laughs> to say under body weight, but it turns out, as we all know, you can be a normal or, or acceptable body weight, but your body fat is so is very low. Think of our gymnasts, right? Think of our Olympic gymnasts. Think of our our track runners, um, our, our athletes. When you weigh them, their their body mass index, their BMI is just fine. They look just fine, but you know they're solid muscle. They have very little fat on their body, and they usually all say, "Oh yeah, I haven't had a period in forever." The reason is the reason is when your body fat percentage drops. And, and it's debatable how low is low. Some people say, I think the International Olympic Committee says uh, under 11%. I think the last time I checked, I've seen other committees say it's once you hit the single digits, 8%, 9%, 6%. Um, obviously, it's different for every woman. So when your body fat drops low, your body fat actually produces a hormone. It's called leptin. Leptin goes up to the brain. And among other things, it tells your hypothalamus if she were to get pregnant, she would be, quote, healthy enough. Well, if leptin is not coming up to the brain because you're very low body fat, then the brain's like, hmm, better not have a period. And so we see this correlation with our uh, low body fat females and irregular menstrual cycles or maybe even a complete absence of their menstrual cycles. So that's one of the first things I evaluate. Are you 
uh, low body fat. Then the other thing I evaluate is exercise. And I um, noticed it a lot in, I, in fact, I got a message. I, I use this example a lot. I got a message from somebody who said, I do uh, uh, cycling. I do cycle, spin class. I do spin class twice a day, or I'll do spin class in the morning. And then I'll do an hour of something after work. And I haven't had my period in a couple months. Could this be related? And I'm like, yes, it absolutely could be related because maybe you're using exercise for a stress release. Maybe you're using exercise because you feel it's important. Maybe you're using exercise for weight management. But when it comes to the, to the, what your body perceives as excessive, you're excessively running from the tiger for lack of a better analogy. Then the brain goes, Hmm, that's not safe. That's not healthy. And it starts to down regulate those pulses and affects our cycle. So when I say like, are you healthy enough? Those are the two biggest red flags to me, body fat percentage and exercise. Now, are there other things um, that can affect, um, that can affect health for sure? I mean, even things such as hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, you can have other endocrine um, dysregulation. And that is also going to affect and throw off your cycle because you're, you're, you're not in a, a balance, so to speak. And so it does affect ovulation and it affects your period. So can you break down the monthly cycle for me? Because on, on, yeah. I know certain parts of the month estrogen is up, certain parts of the month progesterone is up. Because I think yes. that's a good foundation for us to kind of jump off from there and then see how that gets dysregulated. Yes. And I actually love that you asked that because even a lot of women who go through it every month don't know this, which, you know, they, they I am, which I find fascinating. We don't get taught it very often. Our menstrual cycle generally is about 28 days from start to finish. And then we start over again, uh, the next day. It can vary. It totally can vary anywhere. 25 days up to 32, 33 days is, is considered okay. Totally fine. So the menstrual cycle is also very controlled. It's like a very controlled roller coaster up and down, or some people call it a very controlled symphony. Um, so you, if you're out of, if one little part's out of whack, it throws the whole thing off. So in, you get your period, every, all your hormones are very low. So day one of your cycle is the day you start bleeding. That's your period. Estrogen is low. Progesterone is low. As you start to get along day two, day three, day four, day five, estrogen, specifically what's called estradiol starts to rise. And at the same time, your, your follicles, the, the cells that have the egg inside are starting to grow as estrogen grows, it gets to a point and it tells the brain says, all right, we need to pick one, pick one follicle, pick the chosen one to win this beauty pageant. That's the one that's going to move forward. And it's going to ovulate you, you, unless you're having twins or triplets or quadruplets, you're only going to ovulate one egg in your cycle. So estrogen rises to a peak. You have one follicle that's chosen. And when estrogen rises to its peakiest peak, your brain says, go. And that's when you release another hormone called LH, known as luteinizing hormone. And poof, the follicle bursts open and out comes the egg. This whole time, progesterone's low. Progesterone does not make her debut in this first part of your cycle. And what day is that, Carrie? For uh, estrogen or uh, ovulation? Well, I guess, yeah, the estrogen peak and the ovulation. So estrogen starts to really peak right before ovulation. So in this cycle, generally, the books will tell you, ovulation happens around day 14. For some women, it's day 12. For some women, it's day 18. It's, it's not textbook perfect. But for our example, we're going to say day 14, which means estrogen's rising, rising, rising up day 12. Day 13 hits its peak. 
And then on day 14, you release the egg because of the peak of estrogen uh, and LH. So now that whole first part of the cycle I'm explaining is called the follicular phase. Follicular, because you're growing follicles. So you'll hear people talk about this, the follicular phase, the first part of your cycle, estrogen is the dominant one. Now you've ovulated and you're in the second half of your cycle, which is called the luteal or luteal phase, because this is where all those cells switch into, like I said earlier, permanent Cinderella, they turn into lutein cells and they make progesterone and estrogen rises a little bit, not nearly as much as progesterone. So in the second half of our cycle, we're very progesterone dominant. Then if you're not pregnant, both hormones start to come down, just like a roller coaster. You hit a, you hit a peak, you're not pregnant and you come down the other side with your hands up screaming. And then you hit a certain level and your period starts. What day does that happen where this starts coming down? Usually for most of us, um, what we call mid luteal. So 19, 20, 21, 22. So we should know, um, the, the brain should know pretty quickly if we're pregnant. So, um, you release the egg day 14. And if you're not pregnant within those couple of days, uh, then the brain's like, okay, we, we can't sustain progesterone production. So let's, let's start this up. Let's scrap this and start this whole thing over again. So progesterone and estrogen go down. Now for someone who's, who does get pregnant, the second, the second you get implantation, so sperm meets egg. And they go into the uterus and they bury themselves in. The minute you, you get what's called implantation, you release, you release these things called prostaglandins, specific prostaglandins. I don't know who names them, but they're called prostaglandins. And that immediately flips all the switch in the brain to say, we're pregnant, we're pregnant, we're pregnant, we're pregnant. The whole body knows we're pregnant. And so everything changes. And now what will happen is hopefully that corpus luteum will continue to pump out progesterone because the brain will tell it to until your, um, uh, the, uh, placenta is strong enough to take over, which is usually like week 10, week 11, uh, nine, 10, 11 of, of you being pregnant. So it's a whole, it's a very, as you can tell, it's very sick. It's very coordinated and it's very signal related. It's, it's very much, everybody's in constant communication, um, to adjust and to pivot if needed. So when you're testing a lady's hormone levels, there a specific time when you suggest getting the base on the hormones you see? Yes. There, yeah. So if I'm specifically looking at estrogen and progesterone, then I will test them in the luteal phase. I will try to catch them uh, day 19, 20, 21, or um, you will hear other labs say collect five to seven days after ovulation. So if you ovulate on day 14, obviously five days later is day 19, right? So it still hits that 19, 20, 21. Now, if you're looking for some of those other brain hormones, so for example, LH, uh, which is what leads up to ovulation, a lot of women are familiar with an ovulation predictor kit or an LH um, test, and they will collect that leading up to what they hope is ovulation. It's a urine test. You generally get them at drugstores. So you will, you know, pee on one. So you may day 12, day 13, day 14. That's when that one will be, you test for that one. And then there's another hormone called FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. That's what you do in the very beginning because that's the one telling the follicles, hey, start to grow. We've started a whole new cycle. So that one's generally done on day two or day three of the menstrual cycle. So while you're, 
usually while you're on your period. So you can see it's a little, um, it's really helpful to know the physiology so that you don't just go to your practitioner and say, I'd like my hormones checked, please. And then they just randomly check. The random is tough because if I said to you, when did you get your hormones? And you're like, I don't know, Tuesday at two o'clock. I'm like, Ugh. you have, I need to know like what we're looking for and then where you are in your cycle to make it applicable. Okay. So let's say we draw on day 19 or 20 and, mm-hmm. and the numbers are off. Progesterone is not high. Maybe estrogen's. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the typical yeah. Um, yeah. protocol might be, what, they, what it may look like to be off. Well, maybe you could explain what it looks like to be off and then what mm-hmm. you may do um, in response to that. Usually it's the symptoms will tip, tip me off first. Usually somebody will say, my PMS sucks. I'm moody. I have terrible cravings. My breasts hurt. My periods are heavy. Or they'll say, um, I, it, I have fibroids and my fibroids are growing. I have a history of polyps in my uterus and they're growing. Um, I get clots. So these are the typical questions or excuse me, symptoms that I start to hear that make me think something's wrong. Something's wrong with estrogen and progesterone. So as I said, when I test your hormones at that time, day 19, day 20, I expect to see progesterone. It's like the highest roller coaster peak you've ever been on. It should be elevated. It should be high. Whereas estrogen should not be that high. It's a very small roller coaster peak. If it's flipped, if I look at your hormones and your estrogen's in the red, it's really high and your progesterone's not, maybe your progesterone's quite low, even near zero. You, what we call is estrogen dominance at that time. Your estrogen excess, you're, you've got way too much estrogen at a time. You should have a whole bunch of progesterone. Now, a couple reasons for this. One, you just didn't ovulate. Maybe for some reason the signal got messed up, right? Your pulses got messed up. Um, maybe you're on a medication that stops you from, from ovulating. You've got some stress. Maybe you did some travel. Maybe you got sick that will affect ovulation. Now, the other thing is that you did ovulate, but your cellular health is not that great, or the brain health is not that great, or both. So you release an egg, but the brain is trying to tell the, you know, the, the body, like make progesterone, but the signal's not getting through. And then down at the, you know, the pelvic area, the ovarian area, like the blood flow is not great. You've got some lymph stagnation. You're dealing with some nerve stuff, low back pain, low back nerve stuff. So the signal just, it doesn't happen. And then therefore you don't really make a lot of progesterone. So as a result, that's when you often say, I feel hormonal. I'm moody. You know, I want chocolate all the time crying, but then I'm angry and my periods are heavy. So that, those are the things that I look for when, I, when I'm assessing from a symptom and blab way estrogen and progesterone. We will be right back to this podcast after a special message from one of our amazing sponsors. Ladies and gents, here's a message from our friends over at Heroic. One of the most highly downloaded episodes of this podcast was with my good friend, Brian Johnson, previously of Philosopher's Notes, previously of Optimize. Now his business is called Heroic. And the reason he called it Heroic is because we're all on our own hero's journey. You are the hero of your own story. And Heroic does such an incredible job of giving you the resources and assets and ultimately information and community to start to understand how to be the hero of your own story. I personally have gone through the 10-month Heroic Coaching Program, which was such a wealth of information, such a true gift. 10 months uh, and the cost of it is comically low for what you're paying, for what you're getting. I I promise you. 
you're getting such an incredible amount of value that if you're interested in being a coach or if you're interested in ultimately optimizing yourself doing this 10-month coaching program, I couldn't give it more of a high recommendation. There's so much value. But right now, um, Heroic is offering you, offer you guys a 20% discount off the first year. And what's included in that app is just so vast. Uh, you're getting books, you're getting uh, philosopher's notes, so book summaries, you're getting videos from Brian, you're getting so much information. Um, so I highly suggest you guys head over to Heroic app. You can download it at heroic.us and use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up with 20% off your membership today. And I promise it won't be a waste of your time. Just check it out. Give it five minutes. And if you don't love it, I promise you can you can yell at me because you will. Uh, back to the show with Carrie Jones. Would that be a result of the elevated estrogen, the, these, these dysregulated is. symptoms? It yeah. is. It is. Now, estrogen sets off other cascades, right? Estrogen affects histamine, right? Estrogen affects, um, can affect our prostaglandins. So what those are, um, those cause spasms or cramps um, for, for a lot of women, of course. And so while estro- estrogen being higher than I'd like it, we go back to that. It's estrogen itself can also, you know, recruit other hormones that can then be problematic. And, and like, so like histamine is how- a great example. Women say, why are my allergies bad? Why do I feel flu-like? Um, why is I get an IPMS state? I'm, I'm itchy. My rashes come out. Like, oh, I bet you're out of whack with estrogen, so to speak. It's affecting your histamine. And that's why you feel all these allergic type symptoms. How come it, people don't get those symptoms and then in the first 14 days then when, when estrogen is elevated or do they? They do. So okay. what, I, what we commonly focus in the PMS week, PMS gets all the press. It's you know the week before your period. But oh my gosh, the amount of women that I ask, do you also feel this? just prior to ovulation is, is resoundingly yes. You, you oftentimes they'll feel it both. Yes, I get, um, you know, moody and, and I get uh, allergic symptoms right before ovulation. And again, as I get close to my period, but here's the thing, nobody's thought to ask them. Nobody's thought to ask them, do you, how often in your cycle do you get them? We all focus on the PMS point, but in the grand scheme of the entire cycle, when do you feel these symptoms? And that's when they'll go, oh, actually, more than once. Usually it's these two key times. All right, Dr. Yeah. Terry. So how do we start correcting these imbalances? If, if it's a progesterone, call it deficiency, that might not be the right word, but maybe uh, just not, not enough in progesterone. Um, is there a particular approach or are you immediately going to lifestyle interventions and going, okay, what's, what's missing the safety and the health? Yeah, that's where I start. That's where I start. No, obviously there's a lot of great things to Band-Aid. Um, I mean, you can take progesterone, right? Progesterone is a hormone that, that is in the U S is over the counter is a cream, but can also be prescribed. Do I use progesterone all the time? I do not. Um, not necessarily because the lifestyle interventions I find can work really, really well. Uh, if you've, if you are not feeling safe, if you are, uh, quote unquote, not as healthy as you should be, if you have hypothyroidism, if you're, um, like the hormone prolactin, prolactin is the hormone we associate with breastfeeding, but it doesn't have to be elevated with breastfeeding. Other things can cause it to increase like low thyroid, low B6, stress. There's a few other, you know, big things, um, type of tumor called a prolactinoma. Uh, so I'm trying, I'm trying to peel back the layers to get to the cause. Why don't you ovulate? 
and let's go from there. And it's her, it, it's age dependent. I would address somebody with PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, who's not ovulating differently than I would address somebody who's 45 and perimenopausal. They have different needs and it's different reasons. Now that's progesterone. Estrogen's a little bit different. Why is your estrogen so high? It could be um, estrogen-like chemicals, right? Our environment's full of them. So we, they're called endocrine disrupting chemicals, our plastics, you know, BPA and, and, and such. And our fragrance, I mean, all of that, are, I tell women, they're called endocrine disrupting chemicals for a reason. The hormone system is called the endocrine system and they're disrupting it. So let's not do that. Let's try to think of ways to get, reduce these chemicals in your, your life, reduce exposure. Other reasons are liver. If your liver is not processing your estrogen very well, for example, maybe you take a lot of Tylenol or acetaminophen, which is really affecting your liver. Maybe you're a two glasses of wine type of night, a type of girl, uh, because it's, you're using it for stress reduction. Well, alcohol wins as it goes through the liver and it can affect your hormones. And so there, you know, maybe you're not, um, absorbing your foods very well. You have a lot of digestive issues, so you don't actually have the nutrients to help your liver function in the first place. So we have to go back to why don't you, why don't you absorb very well? What's going on in your stomach and your small intestines? If you do have issues with your microbiome in your gut, uh, believe it or not, your microbiome plays a big role in your hormones. Um, we have a subsection of our microbiome called the estrobilome, which is my favorite word in medicine, the estrogen microbiome. It's the part of your gut bugs that handle estrogen detoxification. So if it's not doing that well, you are more likely to reabsorb estrogen back into your body. Uh, I particularly see this uh, with women with constipation who don't have a bowel movement every day. Um, I, it's not absolute, but I do tend to see it more with them where their estrogen, they can't, they literally can't poop out their estrogen and it's getting reabsorbed. And so I view progesterone and estrogen a little bit differently, but um, you know, it's a bigger, it's a bigger workup than I think people think. I'm very happy that you brought up endocrine disruptors, these, um, you know, these pseudoestrogens, we'll mm-hmm. say, these things that ultimately people are consuming through plastic and all these other things you mentioned. Can you walk us through, like, mechanistically, if you're aware of what's actually happening? Like, yeah. how does it actually work to disrupt the endocrine system? Yeah. So what we, we there's, I'll talk, I'll touch on two points um, that I read about the most often in research. So one point, which is what I read the most, is that these endocrine disrupting chemicals look enough like estrogen so that when they go to the estrogen receptor, so if you think of estrogen like the key, the key fits in the lock, turns the lock, and the lock you know, pops open and you're good to walk into a house. With an endocrine disrupting chemical, it fits enough into the lock, the receptor, that when it turns it, it will act, it'll unlock it, open the door, and activate it. So let's pretend that you drink exclusively out of plastic water bottles, you surround yourself in fragrance, you use all sorts of fertilizers on your yard and your garden, and you're like, gosh, my PMS is bad, my breast tenderness is bad, my periods are heavy. What could be happening are these chemicals are activating estrogen receptors, causing estrogen-type symptoms. It may have nothing to do with your own estrogen, but these chemicals mimicking estrogen um, unlocking the lock and causing the symptoms. Now, the other way is that you, like I mentioned way in the beginning, we are um, on our follicles, our theca cells make testosterone 
what's called androstenedione DHEA, and they float over to a different cell, granulosa cell, and convert into estrogen. The, the way they do that is through an enzyme that starts with an A, it's called aromatase. Some of these chemicals um, have the ability to increase aromatase. So they're going to speed up your conversion of the androgen hormones converting into estrogen hormones. So for example, um, there's a fertilizer called atrazine with an A. And atrazine has been known to increase aromatization. So if you live in the country, right, you live around farms or, or places that are using atrazine um, then, or, or have a history of it. So it's in the ground supply, water supply, and just isn't out yet. Um, you could have excess estrogen because you're making it because you're getting the gas pedal is pushed on this enzyme to make more estrogen. So these excessive estrogens coming from, you know, the environment will say, um, are they strong enough to dysregulate people's menstrual cycle? So I just see like it. throw off the ovulation phase. Yeah, I see it symptomatically um, and anecdotally. I have a lot of patients, people on social media who comment um, that they've, for, you know, quote unquote, cleaned up, right? They've switched their cookware. They've switched to using glass and stainless steel. They've stopped using perfumes and fragrance. They got rid of all their candles. They um, no longer use that stuff in their yard and, and on their gardens and they don't use plugins and that, you know, Febreze and all these things. And over time they're like, wow, it's made a massive difference in my menstrual cycle and in the symptoms that I feel. I even have women that report switching to hundred percent tampons or pads, hundred percent cotton, no fragrance. And I have so many who've written me to say, just doing that has like my cramps are way less. My periods aren't as heavy. Um, and even though the, uh, the dioxin and the fragrance and stuff and some of these pads and tampons get rated as safe and healthy because, you know, one-time use isn't going to kill you. Um, we know that the, the tissue up inside our vagina is like a, it's like a mucous membrane. It sucks things up very easily. It's very, the, the tissue up there is very different than like the skin on your arm. Um, it, it sucks it up like a straw. And for the average woman who's bleeding three to seven days and maybe using multiple pads or tampons through her lifetime, that can be a long exposure. And gosh, the anecdotal reports back from women, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds who've said to me, gosh, just making that switch, I, over time, I've noticed a massive difference. And so, um, yeah, those chemicals could really screw it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So personally, I'm very neurotic about avoiding all that stuff. And most of my friends think I'm crazy. So I'm glad that you're reinforcing this. And I don't know if you know Dr. Anthony J, but I always refer out to his book. Have you heard of Dr. Anthony J? I haven't, no. Oh, you got to connect with him. He's amazing. I, he wrote a book called Estrogeneration. Like when it comes to um, understanding female hormones, or at least the, the, the negative implications of all the environmental factors on mm -hmm. female hormones, that book is phenomenal. He's an amazing, amazing guy. He's a researcher from the Mayo Clinic that wrote a book on endocrine disruptors that literally everyone should read. Wow. I yeah, do know awesome the name book. of the book. I didn't know that was him. I didn't, I don't have the author memorized, author memorized, yeah. but I, I do know the book. So that's amazing. Yeah. He's a phenomenal guy, a phenomenal author and it's a great book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even when it comes to estrogenic cancers, um, which this is a really controversial topic, as you know, um, you know, estrogen gets a horrible rap, a terrible rap. Uh, everyone's like, oh my God, I don't want estrogen. I want to get rid of estrogen. How do I kill all the estrogen in my body? I'm like, no, estrogen in the right roller coaster amount, right? In the appropriate symphony 
musical amount is great. Estrogen is so helpful for our heart. So as females, our heart, our brain, our bones, you know, our mm. collagen, our skin, just reproduction, everything. Estrogen is very, very important. But um, if it's, you know, out of whack and when you put it in relation to the environment that it's in. So if you have, I mean, unhealthy breast tissue, right? If you have toxic breast tissue and then you're trying to clear estrogen out of it and estrogen has a few different detox options it can go down and go through, um, it could be a recipe for disaster. And that's where things like breast cancer pop up. Um, I, I hear a lot from people who go, oh, I hate estrogen. Estrogen is the reason I have breast cancer. Like, well, not actually, no, it's, it's by itself independently. It's not, it's, it's a whole, it's an entire cascade. It's an entire domino effect that happened. And we're finding more and more and more in my, my, um, oncology friends. I'm not, an, I'm not into oncology, but all my oncology friends are like, wow, the research on environmental toxicity and cancer, that's really the up and coming market that needs to be addressed. Don't just hate on estrogen. Um, it's, so it's, is that it's the plastics the plastics, the perfumes, the candles, yep. the makeups, yep. the uh, skincare. Atrazine. Yep. Uh, yep. All this stuff, even the air we yeah. breathe, you know, the air, I mean, even if you can't help it, like I live in the Pacific Northwest in the last couple of years, we've had horrific forest fires. I mean, look at California, Northern California, yeah. horrific. And, and you might think, well, you know, it's burning up the forest, you know, like that's not so bad. It's burning everything. So all the homes, mm -hmm. all the plastic, right. Everything, all the paint, all the, all the, everything you use to build a house, to build a barn, to build a fence, every cars, you know, gas, oil, grease, like all of that gets burnt up into the air. And then we breathe it in. Those of us who are around right. here, it's, it do it enough times and it's really problematic. Yeah. So Dr. Kerr, I'd love to talk about hormone supplementation. So estrogen, mm -hmm. progesterone, even testosterone in women. I know there's a, a growing number of females using testosterone supplementation. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to have you walk through those and, and, and any other ones that you suggest and love to understand it. Yeah. HRT, hormone replacement therapy. So um, usually when people say HRT, what they mean is estrogen because um, estrogen, like I said, has gotten a lot of press, a lot of bad rap. Um, it, it all started with the WHI a trial that happened several years ago where they came out and said, oh my gosh, estrogen is bad. It causes, you know, hormone replacement is bad. It causes breast cancer. Well, now we've learned so much from the WHI trial, the Women's Health Initiative. Um, uh, it was a poorly designed trial. It was um, pretty unhealthy women as a whole. They were older women um, instead of women in heading into or, you know, just starting menopause and they use synthetic. They, they focused on synthetic hormones uh, and tried to pass it off as um, actual estrogen. There's a difference between synthetic estrogen, synthetic progesterone, uh, which is called a progestin uh, and then actual estrogen itself. So that's where the whole hype around, oh my gosh, HRT is so bad. Um, and so when I'm asked, do I like HRT? I love HRT. I think for the right person, it's great. I don't give it out to everybody. I am very careful. There are risks associated with it. And as you said, there's different types of HRT. So estrogen, progesterone, there's even different types of estrogen, testosterone, uh, DHEA, right? We can get DHEA uh, in the States here. It's over the counter. In other countries, I know it's a prescription. Um, but those are kind of the big four when we think of, of HRT. So I love testosterone. I'll start there because it, testosterone and DHEA are generally viewed as sort of 
least risk, <laughs> more risk averse. Um, so testosterone is not, there's no FDA approved testosterone for women. So a lot of women are uh, using it off label. Uh, they'll get it prescribed through a compounding pharmacy. I've even heard of OBGYNs prescribing um, the kind for men, um, like the topical for men or um, and, and giving it to women just in very tiny doses. Uh, and then DHEA is generally, you you can prescribe it, um, but it's you can also get it over the counter. Testosterone and DHA, you have to be careful. Um, they can aromatize uh, into estrogen a tiny bit. So you just have to be aware of that. Uh, and, but it, more importantly, if you are prone to what we call androgenic symptoms, so acne on the jawline, hair growth in places you don't want, that's you know pretty moderate to excessively, anger and irritation, what female pattern baldness, those hormones could could um, get make it worse. They could they could amplify that. But on the flip side, testosterone and DHEA are great for the bones, great for the mood, great for energy. Can be helpful for libido. Uh, can be you know can be helpful for overall mental outlook. I I had a woman tell me it's like her battery pack. She said I love my testosterone. I feel more like myself again. I have more energy. I feel you know definitely back to where I was maybe 15, 20 years ago. So you don't yeah. have to be afraid. Of testosterone have, you seen, or DHA. have you seen emotional regulation issues with people, women taking testosterone? Uh, so personal experience with it was, you know, as a professional bodybuilder, I was around a lot of women on testosterone and it was a flip. It was like, they would go from being, you know, calm and, and, um, you know, relatively easy to be around to, to not so much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious if you, if you notice any, oh, any emotional, course. um, yeah. Liability. Yeah. And I, I find a lot of it's dose dependent. Um, um, I do call, I call it man size dose and woman size dose. So for example, physiologically females only make about, I think the last time I read it was somewhere in the range of like eight to 16 milligrams of DHEA a day. Like that's all we make. And so the average functional medicine practitioner probably uses five to 10 milligrams of DHEA uh, for a woman. But what will happen is they come in 25 milligram pills or they come in 50 milligram pills. And so if a little is good, then more must be better. And so I've had absolutely had women come in on 25, 50, God bless them, 75 milligrams with their hair falling out, ready to kill people. I'm like, cause you're, you're on, you know, two plus times the dose you should be on. <laughs> Let's back this off a little bit. Uh, and as I said, these androgen hormones can go down, um, what we call the alpha pathway, which is the more, uh, it's a pathway in our body that produces a hormone called 5-alpha-DHT, dihydrotestosterone, and 5-alpha-androstenediol. And they are um, more potent, the, the DHT is more potent than testosterone. So if you are female who heads down that pathway already, and then you jack yourself up with testosterone, or even maybe DHT or DHEA, then you are more prone to the moodiness, let's say the anger. Um, but the great yeah. thing is we can test for that. You, you can do it. You can test for DHT and five alpha androstenedione. bile. So I can actually see it ahead of time. I can predict generally like, Ooh, so, you're going down this pathway. Let's nip this in the bud. Right. Does the timing matter with testosterone DHA like it does with estrogen and progesterone? It doesn't. Not as much. No. Um, women's testosterone and DHEA tend to be uh, roughly the same throughout her cycle. Uh, she does get a bump as she's near ovulation um, to help with the friskiness and help put you in the mood and, and you know, time it up with ovulation. 
Um, some women do notice that some women don't notice that. Um, but otherwise it's generally pretty steady. So you can take it better generally in the morning, because if you're going to use the energy, use it to your advantage. Don't take it at night per se, um, might keep you up. So, yeah. Yeah. So coming back to the timing of estrogen and progesterone, I don't know that we touched on that. Like if there is someone supplementing with estrogen and progesterone, is the estrogen timed to the first 14 days and the progesterone to the last, you know, the, the third, the third cycle, I guess. So it depends on her age and what you're using it for. A lot of women go on estrogen and progesterone as they get older and have lost their cycle or are losing their cycle. Uh, so menopausal women who don't cycle anymore at all, let's say she's 50, you know, hasn't had a period in, in eight months, 12 months, 14 months, decides to go on hormones. Generally, what they'll do is they'll put them on the hormone continuously, estrogen and progesterone together. Now, I am a fan of breaks it, as in taking a break. That's how I was taught by uh, my pharmacist back in the day. Um, and it seems to work really well for my patients. So I kept it up. And by breaks, what I did was for the menopausal woman was six days on with her hormones and one day off, give take a one day break. Other practitioners don't do that. They don't do any break at all. Others do a two-day break. Um, I've had other practitioners do three weeks on and one week off as if they were mimicking sort of the menstrual cycle. Um, it sort of depends on you and you as a practitioner. Now, if you're younger, let's say you're 32 and your practitioner has decided to put you on progesterone for whatever reason, fertility, PMS, then we tend to do progesterone in the second half of the cycle, meaning you ovulate and then you start your progesterone um, for those two weeks. And so then it is cycled when you're doing progesterone. Um, for fertility purposes, once you are pregnant, generally, generally OBs will keep you on the progesterone through your first trimester. So if you are on progesterone for, for, for fertility purposes, um, Oftentimes, they'll have you maintain it until you hit your second trimester just to help. How much does hormone uh, health influence someone's ability to have a baby? I'm sure it's significant, but if I'm supplementing or a lady was supplementing with hormones, is she still as able to have a baby as if yeah. she was producing it herself? Yeah. So, well, so the great thing is um, if she needs estrogen and progesterone, like let's say, um, here, I have an example. I have, she was a, she was a track runner. And she just didn't have a period at all. She hadn't had a period of what's called amenorrhea for close to a year and wanted to have a baby. So her OBGYN actually put her on estrogen and progesterone. Now, is she going on estrogen and progesterone? Is that going to improve her fertility chances? Kind of. What we really need to do is get her period back because in order to make a baby, you have to have an egg, right? An egg and a sperm have to meet. So while estrogen and progesterone are helpful for overall health, such as preventing osteoporosis and improving, you know, mood and pretty, improving heart and brain, I still needed to get her to ovulate and release the egg. So I would actually take a step back with that patient and get her to ovulate. If somebody um, is uh, um, ovulating, and I, but she's just not making great amounts of progesterone, so she totally releases the egg, but for whatever reason, she's not pumping out progesterone, you, progesterone supplementing is very helpful. It is very helpful, which is why uh, you'll see it in the um, OBGYN community and the fertility community. They often put you on progesterone and then keep you on progesterone to help maintain the pregnancy. So in that case, it's okay. The, the, the whole workaround though is the egg. 
do you release the egg? How do you test for that? How do you know? A couple ways. So you can use those ovulation predictor kits, also known as an LH kit. And that will tell you if you're going to make the hormone LH, luteinizing hormone, that is going to tell the follicle to release the egg. So it's not a guarantee, but if you have a positive LH, you're pretty certain you're probably going to ovulate within the next 24 to 48 hours. The other way in fertility clinics, what they'll do is that they will do ultrasound. They will do an ultrasound to see if you're, um, to, to check on your follicle, to see, make sure you have one chosen follicle. And then they will, they will uh, generally give you an injection to force ovulation. And then they will ultrasound to see if you have done that, if you've actually released the egg and you have the corpus luteum. Obviously that's a lot more involved, a lot more expensive, but for those who are listening, who've gone through maybe some fertility centers um, are familiar with this. They've had cool. all sorts of right. <laughs> injections and workups and ultrasounds and whatnot. Yeah. But it's a, it's a blessing that we're able to do it. Modern science is it's a gift. So yeah. Yeah. And you will see at home tests now too, because again, in, in order to make progesterone, you have to ovulate. So now you will see the at home fertility kits that will check for LH positive or negative, And then they will check for progesterone five to seven days later. So if you have a positive LH and a positive progesterone, then the, so you're like 99.999% sure that you ovulated because those two have to go together for ovulation. So it's very smart okay. on those at-home companies um, to look at both of those to help out. Yeah. So question for you, Dr. Jones. I'm curious. I hear, I hear a lot of people in the functional medicine space speak about the variability or the potential for variability in nutrition for women during certain cycles of the month. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Especially in the, in the fasting world, like intermittent fasting or keto. Um, I will um, hear be, because, because you are hormones are, our estrogen's higher in the first part of our cycle. If we're, we're nesting, the uterus is nesting. It's like waiting to see if you're going to implant or not. And so you will hear this with intermittent fasting or, or keto. People will say, Hey, look for females, Maybe don't fa intermittent fast as long in the second half, like add in a few more carbs. Don't be fully into keto as you get into that week three, week four leading into your period is the same, of course, but um, it can make your hormones. It can help you ovulate better. It can help you produce more progesterone. It can help um, uh, ease, you know, PMS by having a little more carbs, not fasting as long, not being in keto. And so I do hear that um, by some uh, of my colleagues that I love and trust. So for example, like Cynthia Thurlow and, and uh, Dr. Mindy Pels, who are female intermittent fasting, my go-tos for female intermittent fasting, they often say, hey, look, if you're after ovulation, don't, don't push it so hard when it comes to fasting and keto, especially if you're symptomatic, especially if you're like, I'm more moody, <laughs> my PMS is terrible. Like, why isn't this working for me? It's like, ah, you're, you're affecting your hormones. We need to back and that's up. that's regardless if you're trying to get pregnant or just trying to be healthy. Both yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I just talked to somebody this morning um, who's not a practitioner. And she said, I'm 10. She, I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. She said, I'm 10 days into a, a ketogenic reset. And I said, not to be TMI, but how close are you to your period? And she's like, very close. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, I felt great the first couple of days. I said, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> but now as you're getting close to your period, this can be what happens. So we talked about, you know, B vitamins and electrolytes and, you know, talking to a practitioner and what have you. But again, this doesn't affect every I woman. I know there's 
I know there's women that are listening that are go, oh, that doesn't really, that doesn't affect me. I'm like, great. But if it does, um, be aware. So I love that you were willing to do that. So it sounded to me like you were going to say, oh, you should just eat some carbs, but you allowed her to stick with her goal yeah. and showed her some alternate solutions. That's great. That's really yeah. awesome. And again, I try not to be dogmatic with the path, right? But if the person chose to be keto, that's awesome that you kind of thought on, well, how can I support her goal? Yeah. Well, and especially because we know, for example, when it comes to mood, um, uh, serotonin, dopamine, GABA, these all our brain neurotransmitters, um, they work on, you know, protein, as you know, is very important to them. So tryptophan, tyrosine, but a lot of B vitamins like B6 in particular, uh, play a big role. And so I wouldn't, the reason I said, Hey, maybe, you know, bump up your B vitamins, specifically look at B6 because as you're not getting these carbs, um, to help it's possible, um, you need, you actually just need more, more B vitamins. You want to stay in the keto. You want to stay in the reset program that you paid for. But let's try to help you out. Knowing what I know, let's try to help you out and improve, improve the mood a little bit more. And there's other things, you know, that we can do to even circumvent that. You know, people, some people will take 5-HTP or they will take tryptophan or they will take GABA or they will take theanine to try to, you know, get around some of these symptoms, which is yeah. fine too. But I wasn't actually her doctor. So <laughs> as her friend, I was like, well, you know, increased electrolytes, consider adding in B vitamins, which she hadn't been doing so. Awesome. Now, how does a, a long-term ketogenic diet impact the female's hormones? Honestly, I find that it really depends on the female, much like anything else. I have colleagues in the space who are long-term keto. They don't often ever get out of keto and they're doing just fine. And I have other colleagues um, who or step out of keto kind of that week of PMS and do add in more carbs because they felt awful. They were actually having terrible PMS or, um, terrible periods. They didn't feel right. Uh, they felt great the other two to three weeks. Wonderful. Um, but just not that week. And so I tell women the only, we honestly don't fully know until you get into it and, and try it. And then we adjust from there. I can tell you what the experts what? say and the experts suggest, but it doesn't mean it's going to fit you. Right. So someone who isn't hugely familiar with female hormones, what other questions should I be asking that would be important for myself or the audience to know? So the great thing about hormones and, and, and women um, are is that they usually know. They don't know the finer details, but they will say to you, you will say to them, do you feel hormonal? And they'll go, yeah. And they'll tell you, they'll outline it for you. Yes, I feel it all the time. Yes, I feel it here. Yes, I feel it there. Yes, these are the symptoms that I get. So the umbrella term of hormonal is actually really quite helpful. What they mean generally is estrogen and progesterone. But what we say in our society is hormonal. How you feeling? You feeling like our hormones are out of whack? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so just asking that question about hormones as an umbrella can be really insightful. Um, that you know, like, okay, she knows her body best and she feels hormonal or she notices it on a cycle. She, you know, once a month, these things are happening. And right. then we have to dig a little deeper. The other thing, the second thing is, have you ever had a hormonal workup? Because sometimes they will say, oh yeah, I had a full workup, quote unquote, um, and everything was fine. But as we know, a full workup that maybe um, an acute care practitioner does and a full hormone workup that I would do are probably different. Right. And, and, and I want 
I want everyone listening to feel empowered. If you don't feel fine, um, even though you were told you were fine, I bet you didn't have as full of a workup or at the correct timing um, that you would hope for. And let's, let's go back to the drawing board and do that again. Supplements or supplement protocols you suggest for just general women's health. It doesn't have to necessarily be optimization of hormones, but specific to just, hey, you should be thinking about this stuff to be healthy. One of the big ones, I like B vitamins. I've already guessed. That's probably yeah. my favorite, right? So whether it's, you know, eating, I know some people eat, uh, they're trying to eat for nutrition. Maybe they're eating grass-fed liver instead, or maybe they're like, are you kidding me? No way. Just give me the pill. So take you know, B vitamins can be really helpful. Uh, cellular health is really helpful. So whether that is good quality omega-3s, choline, um, phosphatidylcholine, which is really helpful for the cell membrane or, around the cell, um, really helpful. I mentioned mitochondria. Um, it's now known that the mitochondria make their own melatonin internally. They, they keep it in there. Melatonin, we think about for sleep. You know, It's also primarily made in the, in the gut, in our intestines. But all our mitochondria actually make it as well because it's such a powerful antioxidant. And so not necessarily a supplement, but make sure you're getting enough sleep. <laughs> you can help produce the production of melatonin. Uh, one of the enzymes is activated in the dark when you go to sleep. Um, but maybe even, you know, if it's necessary, if it's warranted, if it's something you're working on with your practitioner, you might need a little bit of melatonin or other antioxidants, right? Other things that make glutathione, things like vitamin E, things like vitamin C, um, N-acetylcysteine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, antioxidants are really important because the ovaries lift heavy with the mitochondria. Making hormones requires a lot of mitochondrial usage, which means you're going to make, as a byproduct, free radicals. And so making sure you're either eating the rainbow, if that works for your plan, or taking support that are good for antioxidants. Um, are is really helpful. And then magnesium. Magnesium is another really, really big one. I feel like as humans, we're all pretty well deplete of magnesium. We use it up very quickly. Magnesium, magnesium is used as a cofactor for, for so much in the body, including uh, female stuff. And so um, those are some of my just sort of off the cuff. There, I mean, there are herbs, you know, they're definitely like female specific herbs, but they also apply differently, you know, depending there's, I don't, there's not like one herb to rule them all. (laughs) There are are a lot that can be helpful across the board. Um, but I think at a baseline, the, uh, electrolytes, minerals, the bees, cellular health, like that's what I'm going for. Let's go for the basics. And so what cosmetic line do you recommend? I'm guessing it's not, you know, right on. (laughs) Yes. So, um, I, I use a couple I'm trying to, so for skincare, I, I mean, this is just me. This is what I use. You, everyone is very different. Uh, for skincare, I use what's called agent nature N A T E U R. I love her products. She started out with clean deodorant and expanded from there. Um, and so I use that every day and then makeup. I use, um, a company called Ilia I L I A, uh, and clove and hollow. Um, there's a cosmetic line called thrive that are all clean. Um, and so I tend most, I'd say I'm about 90% clean. The only thing I don't have clean that I'm really struggling with is an eyeliner. (laughs) And I'm, and, um, if I do eyebrows, if I like darken, you know, if I do eyebrow gel, uh, if I get it together to do that, I haven't, I don't, 
I haven't found a clean one that I like yet. But for everything else, all my lipstick, glosses, you know, lip balms, blush, yeah. everything else, mascara is it's I you know all of that. I do clean my deodorant. Um, yeah. I do a lot of just right the oils. Um, so I try really hard. Shampoos, conditioners, like all of that is is pretty clean. Even my dry shampoo. My dry shampoo, my favorite is by, it's a, a, a woman on Instagram. Her handle's at Just Ingredients. And she's yep. an amazing dry shampoo. She sent me. Awesome. And that's what I use. Um, I would be um, sad if I didn't ask you about a few specific supplements. So yeah. DIM, sulforaphane, calcium, yeah. glucurate. I hear those often thrown around when I hear estrogen. Yeah. And I'm curious to hear your perspective. And, and you can keep it context specific yeah. to women. Well, the, the great thing is it applies to men as well. Everything okay. about dim sulforaphane and calcium deglucurate 100% applies, so it's great. Uh, sulforaphane is probably, other than magnesium, sulforaphane is my personal favorite supplement. So when estrogen goes through detox or metabolism, it goes through phase one, then phase two, then phase three. G- liver and other, primarily, liver and other tissues. And then it gets dumped into your bile and, and then into the intestines. And then you... Uh, poop it out or it's liver uh, into your kidneys and then you, and then you pee it out. So with phase one detoxification, uh, DIM, methane, the supplement comes from your broccoli, your kale, your cauliflower family, that cruciferous vegetable and vegetable family. And what it does is it helps your estrogen go down what we call the less carcinogenic pathway. So the less cancerous pathway, it's not no cancer, but it's less. So we like DIM. The problem is if you constantly ramp up that pathway, but you've done nothing about your phase two, then it's just like, um, you know, like a bathtub. So you're just filling the bathtub, but you didn't ever unplug the drain. Eventually the bathtub will overflow and you will have a ruined bathroom. So make sure your drain's open. So I use sulforaphane uh, and magnesium uh, to help phase two. So sulforaphane comes from your broccoli sprouts, sprouts are the version that high, the highest amount. And again, I don't know who names these things, but sulforaphane comes from there. And what sulforaphane does is it helps upregulate the enzymes that move phase two along. Basically, they open their drain openers for the body so you can drain it out of your bathtub. And then once you get into the intestines in that microbiome, the, the estrogen microbiome called the estrobilome, the enzyme there is called beta-glucuronidase. And when you, it acts like scissors. And so when you have estrogen packaged up and ready to get pooped out, if you have too much beta-glucuronidase, much like scissors, it will cut off the bow and open the package. Estrogen will fly free and get reabsorbed. The supplement to counteract that is calcium deglucurate, CDG, calcium deglucurate. And it will dampen your scissors. It'll block your scissors, so to speak. Get rid of the scissors. You still have to affect your gut health. You still have to deal with why you have gut inflammation or infection or what in the gut, but it does help phase three. So when somebody says, um, acts like Oprah and gives dim out for everybody, you get dim and you get dim, you get dim. Um, you still have to evaluate your phase two and your phase three. So make sure you are addressing the drain of your bathtub and then the way that it moves out of your body, the way that you, you poop it out. So when I talk about estrogen, metabolism for males or females, I start with the intestines. Let's get, let's open the sewer line. Let's fix the sewer line, unplug the sewer line. And then I move up to the drain. Let's get that open. And then I address the water. 
So I get asked, can I do all three? Carrie, can I take DIM? Can I take sulforaphane? And can I take calcium deglucurate? I'm like, well, it's not cheap. <laughs> you can, <laughs> but you might want to test first and see where the issue is and see where you, you actually need it. That's a perfect segue to the question I wanted to end with is, would yeah. you be willing to share some of your recommended uh, tests? Because I think a lot of women really have no idea where to start. Yeah. Obviously, the ideal scenario is go find a practitioner like yourself who's exceptional, but so they know that the practitioner does is giving them the right tests. Yeah. Do you have some recommended? I do. So um, if you're going to do a blood test, like let's say you've never had hormones tested before and you're just dipping your toe into it. So you can absolutely ask for a blood test. You can get what's called estradiol, E2, estradiol, and progesterone, and testosterone, and DHEA, which we usually test what's called DHEAS. Um, and you can get that in blood work. You just want to make sure you do it after ovulation, day five, or, uh, not, five to seven days after ovulation. So days 19, 20, 21, if you have a 28 day cycle. So that's a good, like dip your toe and let's see what your hormones are. If you're a little more advanced, or maybe you have more symptoms and you think, no, I'm really need hormone workup. Then when we're going to evaluate kind of from top to bottom, um, I'm completely biased because I used to work for them. I will put that out there. I love the Dutch test. Uh, that's uh, dutchtest.com. Or you can, if you're a practitioner, you can get it on uh, rupahealth.com. You can order it there. And it evaluates the phase, some of the phase one and phase two. So the water coming in your bathtub and the drain. And then for phase three, it's a stool test. So you will have to um, poop in a cup for science. Uh, there's like doctor's data, there's Genova, there's uh, diagnostic solutions, uh, who has the GI map. And so those are uh, microbiome um, has, a, has a test out now. So there are a variety of companies that will evaluate the health of your microbiome, including that one enzyme, beta-glucuron, the scissors, beta-glucuronidase. So it's, you can get a pretty thorough workup. Do you do all of your education through Rupa now, or do you have a private educational portal currently? I, right now I'm doing it all through Rupa, um, but I am, I'll, as you know, I'm, I do a lot on Instagram um, and I have dipped my toe into TikTok God help me. <laughs> you dancing? I am not dancing. No, I am using it more for uh, quick video, quick snippets on answering questions around hormones and maybe some voiceover stuff. But um, uh, with Instagram, I do a lot more of the funny reels all around hormones and hormone health. And then, you know, letting people know latest research I'm finding and how it applies to you as the consumer reading it. Awesome. Dr. Jones, it's been an absolute pleasure. Definitely, um, you know, blew me away with your knowledge and the people who told me that you were the best definitely went wrong. So thank you very much for being here. And I will link to all of your social media in the show notes for anyone who wants to check that out and also to Rupa. Wonderful. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. This is fun. Thank you. All right, ladies and gents, that's a wrap. Thank you very much for being a listener of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. We are growing every month, and it's because of you. Thank you. I'm truly, truly humble and truly, truly grateful for every single person who listens to this podcast. And it makes me proud to know that I can continue to bring the world's best experts sifting through the noise, sifting through the ultimate BS that exists out there and, and all the confusion and helping you live your greatest life in the body of love. Carrie Jones is a expert in hormones. Hopefully you found some value with what she shared. 
And uh, if you did, I would appreciate if you'd share at least one person you know and love. The type of person who likes to help other people and see other people thrive. Sharing this podcast is a great way for you to do that. And uh, another way, great way for you to do that and allow us to continue to bring no cost to consumer information to you is by supporting our sponsors. Two amazing sponsors for today's podcast, our friends over at Buy Optimizers and an isolated Capex as a great product for you to try for someone who is on a low carbohydrate, potentially high fat diet, or if you're having a hard time burning fat, Capex is a great way to support fat loss or ultimately fat uh, metabolism. And uh, the other product isolated from Bioptimizers is Mag Breakthrough, specifically for women, an amazing product to take to make sure you're always getting your magnesium. Most women are deficient in magnesium, especially menstruating women. So you can get both of those products and so many more if you head over to buyoptimizers.com. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-R-Z-E-R-S.com. Thanks very much. And once again, thanks to our friends over at Heroic. And you can head over to muscleintelligence.com to check out their amazing offer for exclusive for listeners of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Ladies and gents, thank you for being here. Have an amazing day. Live your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.